0: Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We do thank you for your mercy and kindness towards us and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we look now for the last time at the Book of Exodus, that you'll see why it is that you've rescued us and what the best thing is about being a Christian. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the best thing about being a Christian? What's the best thing about being a Christian? What do you think? All right, well, as I said, so I'm going to do something a little bit unusual, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable for you. But uh, I don't get paid enough to, to do all the work. It's time for you to do some work today. What I want you to do is this. I want you to turn to a person near you and I want you to spend one minute discussing your answer to that question. So, if that's uncomfortable for you, be a conscientious objector if you want to. Fix your steel. goes to the front. Don't talk to anyone. <laughs> all right. But for all the sane people, everyone else, can you turn to someone near you <clears throat> and spend one minute talking about this? What is the best thing about being a Christian? And then I'm going to get you to give me some answers. Okay, one minute, go. <coughs> 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 Okay, that's one minute. Some people want to give me some answers. Some answers on what you think the best thing about being a Christian is. Some answers. That uh, Jesus is our comforter. He comforts us. Yep, great. He forgives us. Forgiveness. Beautiful thing about being a Christian. Heaven. Heaven. Okay, that heaven stands before us. Jesus saves us for eternity that one day we can see an awesome God God himself himself. someone's read the same book I've read (laughs) God himself that we will see this awesome God God himself (laughs) any other suggestions Okay, to know Jesus, to know the reason for our lives, clarity about the whole reason for our existence. Yeah, Any others? We have hope. Hope, yeah. Particularly in tough times, hope. Alright, excellent. Lots of excellent things about being a Christian. Thank you. Sorry if that was upsetting for you. Ah, but uh, good work. I wonder though, which one is the very best of all? What's the very best thing of all? What is the climax of all these good things? What is the end, the goal of being a Christian? We've come now to this 18th and final talk in our series in the book of Exodus. And as we saw last week, Israel have been busy. They've been busy making all the stuff that will go into the tabernacle. Making the curtains, making the ark, the altars, the lampstand, the priest's clothes and so on. They've got all the stuff they need. They've followed God's instructions diligently, faithfully, generously, and Moses has blessed them. Now in our final chapter, it's time to, to get all the pieces and put them together putting together something from Ikea. Someone else might know about that, not me. It's time to to get out the Allen key and actually assemble the tabernacle. God gives the instructions in verse 1, chapter 40 and verse 1. If you uh, mind grabbing hold of a Bible, we will be looking together uh, through this chapter, last chapter of Exodus. Chapter 40 and verse 1 is where we start and you'll find it on page 70. If it's a small print Bible, 152. If it's a large print Bible. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the month. Okay, so now they have got to set it up. And then as we work through the chapter, just look with me as we go through. God tells Moses exactly where everything has to go. So verse 3, can you see there the ark? The ark has to go in place. Verse 4, the table and the lampstand. Verse 5, the altar of incense. Verse 6, can you see it there, the altar of burnt offering? Verse 7, the basin. Verse 8, the courtyard. Everything's got to go in its rightful places. We've seen it pictured up on the wall that Warren sorted out for us. Uh, verses 9 to 11, everything has to be anointed with a special, unique anointing oil that nobody else is allowed to make. Remember that one? It's set apart so that, it, so that it smells of God. And then with everything in place, the priests have to have to get ready. They have to be dressed up and anointed. Let's read this bit here. Pick it up in verse 12. Verse 12. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. All right, Moses and Israel, they've got their instructions. God has told them what to do. And now we see the rest of the chapter, effectively, they do what they're told. Uh, Verse 16 summarizes it. Verse 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. And then we get this this refrain, as the Lord commanded him. Verses 17 to 19, can you see they, they set up the tent? And at the end, you see the refrain, at the end of verse 19, they set up the tent as the Lord commanded him. Verses 20 to 21, the ark is put in place. As the Lord commanded him. Verses 22 to 23, the table and the bread, as the Lord commanded him. Verses 24 to 25, the lampstand, as the Lord commanded him. Verses 26 to 29, the altars of incense and burnt offering, as the Lord commanded him. Verses 30 to 32, the basin, as the Lord commanded Moses. And in verse 33, the courtyard. And so it says, verse 33, you with me there in verse 33, Moses finished the work. There it is, job done. Put your Allen key back in the toolbox. The tabernacle is ready to go. Made exactly according to plan. And then the book finishes with God coming to dwell with Israel. He comes to dwell in this tabernacle that they've made in a way so holy that not even Moses can enter. Verse 34. 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then we see God's presence remains with Israel in the tabernacle to to guide them on the way to the promised land. Verse 36. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day And fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. And that's the end. That brings us to the end of the book of Exodus. That's where the author puts down his quill until the book of Leviticus. So what do you think? What do you think of that as an ending? Israel build a tent and a cloud comes down. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel inspired to make you feel thrilled. Uh, have you ever heard the word bathos? Anyone know the word bathos? I'm sure Barry would know a defi- definition for us, but uh, it, it means uh, it means an anticlimax, an anticlimax. Bathos. You you start off well. You look like you're going to go somewhere, but you end with a whimper instead of a bang. Now, many people would say that the Book of Exodus is like that. I mean, it starts off if you think about it with such power let's 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 run our way back through the book think back to chapter one the story is set so well god is keeping his promises israel are multiplying becoming a great nation but there's this terrible obstacle the greatest empire in the world israel are in slavery in egypt and then with the new pharaoh the situation gets desperate all the baby boys to be slaughtered the scene is set with such power it's it's high drama classic confrontation And then you get the miraculous rescue of baby Moses, drawn out of the water, raised in the palace. You see his his failed revolution, his 40-year disappearance in the wilderness. Then then God speaks to Moses in the famous burning bush. Go back to Egypt, he says. Confront Pharaoh. Moses goes back. Things just get worse. Pharaoh makes life more difficult for the Israelites. By this stage, even, even the Israelites are against Moses. But then we see God's awesome salvation. God takes on the greatest empire in the world. Ten plagues. The famous Passover. Israel escape out of Egypt and still it's not over. Uh, this is this impossible situation. I- Israel come up to the Red Sea. They're trapped with, with the, the Red Sea in front of them. The Egyptian army, the greatest army in the world behind them. And then God, he, he parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. By this stunning miracle, Israel are saved. Then God provides for them, miraculously. Manna in the wilderness, water from the rock. It's, it's epic stuff. Chapter 1 to 17, well, it is the stuff of movies. But then it seems we, we kind of lose direction a little bit. I mean, 10 commandments, all right. But then chapter after chapter after chapter of commandments, all the way down to don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. I mean, what's with that? And then 15 chapters on the tabernacle and the priests. Fifteen long chapters. Not just once do we get all the details, we get them twice. All the details as they're given by God, build it this way, and then all the same details as Israel Israel built it this way. It's a heck of a lot of stuff about furniture, fashion and fragrance, as someone in church described it. On and on and on it goes in excruciating detail with just one little interesting break in the middle with the golden calf. Uh, Biblical scholar Barry Barry Webb, he describes most people's reaction well. Let Let me quote from him. He writes this, The majority of people find what the Old Testament says about the tabernacle so impossibly remote and repetitious, they feel the only sensible thing to do is ignore it. Only those who believe that reading the Bible from cover to cover is a particularly meritorious work push on doggedly through the tabernacle like a ship in thick fog. And now we come to the very end of the book, and what happens? Israel put up a tent and a cloud comes down. Feels a bit like bathos, don't you think? If I can make up a word, and Barry will tell you this is not a real word, it seems pathetic. Bathetic. <laughs> <laughs> the scene was set for an epic, but now we get to the end, and everyone except the engineers and the architects are asleep. What's going on? What's going on? The author obviously thinks he's brought us to some great climax. Uh, Why else would he spend 15 chapters on the tabernacle? Why else would he end the book here? He obviously thinks this is very important, so what's going on? It seems to me that uh, in the book of Exodus we get some clues, some clues to help us, some clues to show us why the tabernacle is so significant, some clues to show us why the tabernacle is in fact a very fitting conclusion to Israel's epic salvation from Egypt. So come back with me this time in your Bible. Come back with me to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21. Back to chapter 4 and verse 21. This comes, it's just after the story of the burning bush in the narrative, but I think in context it's actually referring back to something that God said at the burning bush. So chapter 4 and verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I'll harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, Let my son go so that he may worship me. Why does God want Israel out of Egypt? Can you see it there? Why is he saving them? Answer, so they can worship him. And that actually becomes a refrain right through the chapters, chapter after chapter. Exodus 7.16. I'm going to race through a whole heap now. You can chase them up if you want to. Exodus 7.16, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Exodus 8.1, let my people go so that they may worship me. Same thing again, Exodus 8:20, 9 1, 9 13, 10 3. Uh, 10 7, Pharaoh's officials say it: Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. And and then finally, after the plague on the firstborn, when Pharaoh finally gives in, this is what he says, I bet you can guess what it is already, chapter 12, verse 31, he says, 1231, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. So Israel head into the wilderness. They come to Mount Sinai and God, what does he do? He gives them his laws and what are the very first laws of all? Well, have a look with me on this one. Chapter 20 and verse 1. Chapter 20 and verse 1. Okay, here's the very first law. Here is the law for the redeemed people. Number one in importance. Number one in priority. 20 verse 1. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, the God who saved them. So what are they going to do? You shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god the law god gives to his saved people it starts off with the issue of worship don't have other gods before him don't make idols friends i hope you've got the point here's the point i hope it's clear now god was saving israel for a reason there was a goal of salvation and an end to salvation. What was the end? Why did God save Israel? Answer, so they could worship him. Now, Not any way they choose. The law makes that very clear. We just read that. Uh, the, if they didn't get it in the law, they certainly got it by the episode of the golden calf. Uh, no, no, God saves Israel so they'll worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. And that's what the tabernacle is all about, isn't it? This is the revelation of the old testament revelation of how god wants to be worshipped with all the relevant furniture and fashion and fragrance and so god sets it out in detail exactly what he wants and the author tells us in detail that's exactly what they did the tabernacle is about worshipping god his way and and the fact that it's made the climax of the story of israel's salvation here in exodus it makes this point even more clear it makes this point very powerfully israel are saved to worship barry webb puts it like this he says what the tabernacle material of exodus teaches is that the worship of god is the goal of the redeemed life and so now as the book of exodus draws to its close that goal is possible The tabernacle's been set up the way God commanded. The people know exactly how they have to worship God from all his revealed laws, from bitter experience of getting it wrong. The people know what to do. And now, now for the first time since the Garden of Eden, God has come to live with his people. Let me say it again. For the first time since the Garden of Eden, God has come to live with with his people that isn't bathos that is a climactic ending an exciting ending god is with israel god is with israel the god who made the universe by speaking is with israel the god who keeps his promises and is worthy of all praise and honor is with israel present with them guiding them and they have the incredible privilege of worshiping him Friends, that was the best thing about Israel's salvation. That was the goal. That was the end of Israel's salvation. They could be with God. They could worship Him. Well, as we've seen over and over again through this book of Exodus, Israel's salvation, it's like a picture of our salvation, isn't it? So uh, God rescues Israel out of Egypt. He brings them through the wilderness and into the promised land. And, and here in the tabernacle, uh, he, he's come to be with them. And it's a picture of what will happen further along when he's with them ultimately in the temple, in the promised land. Well, in, a similar, in a similar way, God has rescued us from slavery. N- not from Egypt. But from sin and from death and from satan when jesus died on the cross when he rose again from the dead he defeated sin and death and satan he set us free from sin and death and so now we can be in the presence of god in the wilderness now we get just a tiny foretaste of it as we trek along in this wilderness of our lives as now god indwells us by his spirit As we see something of 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 the real god and his word as we gather as his people and worship him but the day is coming when we will see god face to face when as god's forgiven people will make it to the ultimate promised land and where we will be in the very presence of god Uh, on your outline there i've gone to the very very end of the bible you see where i am now on the right hand side at, at the top gone to the very very end of the bible not just to the end of exodus to the, to the last chapters of the whole Bible. And what I want you to see here is that it's the same ending. It's the same ending. It's a much greater ending, uh, the ending that just Exodus was just a shadow of, but it's the same concept. The climax of the whole Bible is this, the climax of the whole Bible. God's people get to be with Him. They get to serve and worship Him. Have a look on your outline there. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they'll reign forever and ever. Do you get the point? Do you get the point? The reason God has saved us is so we can be with him, so we can worship and serve and enjoy him forever. It's the same reason he saved Israel. The goal is the same, to be with God and to worship him. John Piper has the most helpful book that Carmelina gave me uh, on this subject. It's called God is the Gospel. And he puts the idea very well. I put a quote from him on your outline there as well. Can you see it, Can you see it at the end there? What's, what's the best thing about being a Christian? John Piper says, The highest, best, final, decisive good of the Gospel, without which no other gifts would be good, is the glory of God in the face of Christ revealed for our everlasting enjoyment the saving love of God is God's commitment to do everything necessary to and I love this enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying namely himself himself friends we had lots of good answers to our questions before and I'm pleased that you're a very well-taught congregation and we came up with this answer because I think this is the very best thing about being a Christian we mentioned some excellent benefits forgiveness some excellent benefits of a fellowship with god's people of having hope but but i think this is the 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 ultimate the best answer the best thing about being a christian is, is god himself that we will be with god forever that we'll see him face to face that that we'll be able to worship and enjoy him in all eternity friends is that your great hope is that your great hope to see god face to face to worship and enjoy him forever is that I reckon that's a hope worth having, don't you? I reckon it is a hope worth having. It's a hope that is made possible through our forgiveness and through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And friends, it'll be a great ending, a great climax, not just for the book of Exodus, not even just for the Bible. It will be the greatest possible end, the greatest possible goal for your life and for mine. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that out of your great love, you have made it possible for us to be with you forever. We thank you and we say that the greatest possible gift that we could get is you yourself, to be able to see you face to face, to be able to be enthralled with you, the most deeply and durably satisfying being in all the universe. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might stand firm, trusting in Jesus all our days, relying on him, Uh, being led by your Holy Spirit, so that that day will come when together we can praise and worship and enjoy you forever. We pray in Jesus' name.